0: Hey everyone, this is Chris Case, the host of Fast Talk. Today, I'm very excited to introduce the first full-length episode of Cycling in Alignment with Colby Pierce, the latest addition to the Fast Labs podcast network. Colby is not only a friend of ours, he is one of the most thoughtful and knowledgeable coaches, bike fitters, and thinkers in cycling. A self-described cycling dork, Colby takes a holistic approach to the sport we all love. We hope, you will appreciate taking a ride inside Colby's mind. If you love what you hear, be sure to subscribe to his channel wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. And without further ado, here is Colby Pierce. Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport in right relationship to your life. Welcome those who journey through the internet portals, the interweb dimensional gateways the centrifuga knots and space monkeys. Thank you for joining me on my intro podcast. This will be called Cycling in Alignment. First disclosure, I learned everything I know about podcasting from Mike Creed, the OG of podcasting. So that'll tell you something right there. This is an intro episode, and I just want to unpack a little bit about my concepts, my flow, why I would like to have a podcast, why I think I should have a podcast. Should is always a word I use in air quotes. You'll learn that about me because I don't really like that word. But I'm not going to unpack that now because there's plenty of time to do that later. So... Man, there's so many podcasts. There's so much content. Everyone's so driven to make content. But why do we do this? Do we really need this much content? We're drowning in information right now. The the world is drowning in information. And I think that causes a certain amount of stress and anxiety among certain people because when we are exposed to all this information, we feel as though we should learn more. There's that word again. And there's more information, but the same amount of time. Everyone's got 24 hours in one day. Well, ostensibly. And so if there's more information and more things to learn, because there are more people on the earth, on the planet, around 8 billion or so, and we're all making more discoveries or figuring more things out, learning more about the universe, about microorganisms or the planet or sporting excellence or training methods or supplements or the quality of water. We're learning all these things and we're teaching them to each other. And when there are more people and there's more information and more learning, more knowledge, then we as people who are compelled or feel an obligation or a desire to learn and to continue expand, to expand our knowledge about things in the universe, well, we see all this information and we add it to the list the to-do list, the endless grocery list, the shopping list of life. And there's a problem there because the longer that list gets, the the more you might feel a sense of guilt that you haven't reached the end of that list, or perhaps you haven't simply accomplished certain things on that list that are in the foreseeable future. Maybe you're smart enough to understand there is no end to that list. It's The list that exists your whole life and thus feeling a sense of anxiety or hurriedness about this list is a sure way to just perpetually live your life in anxiety. And I don't really want to do that. I'm sure you don't either. That said, there are moments when I have felt that anxiety. I readily admit that. It's a practice to address that list when the time is appropriate to have right relationship with exploring knowledge. There's also a certain spiritual growth that happens when you learn that you don't need to, as Paul Cech would say, sniff under every rock. You don't need to explore the entire forest. You get to the point where, first of all, two things happen. One is you learn to have a certain level of discernment about what needs to be investigated and what doesn't. You can very quickly establish an intuition about a certain topic when it's new and immediately have some level of understanding. Mm, I don't need to explore this. I do not need to invest my time and energy and attention into this topic because I already understand everything it's going to offer me or it's not going to contribute to my overall path. So I can leave that one. I can walk away from it and be fine. There's also a, a bigger growth phase that happens with some people where they hit a point in which they simply realize... They've done enough sniffing and they can do a little more being quiet and being a little less human doing and a little more human being, I suppose you could say. So what does that have to do with cycling? All right. What I'm getting at is I don't want to add to the pile of noise. And in sporting world, there are a fair number of podcasts out there right now that I'm aware of that do a good job of exploring different things like physiology and the nature of functional threshold power and what kind of intervals to do. And these can be useful resources for some people. That's not necessarily the direction my podcast is going to go. I want to bring in some guests who can give us a level of understanding and have interesting discussion about how they lead their lives and what they've learned and I'll find ways to tie that into the world of sports, the world of cycling, the world of the athlete. Um, these guests may directly apply to cycling in a strength and conditioning aspect for one, as one example, or it may be much more obtuse than that, but still applicable. Uh, for example, I have a couple of guests I'd like to bring on board in the future who will talk about your relationship to truth. And if you don't have a proper relationship to truth or alignment with truth in your life, then you're going to have a lot of struggle. You're going to be ice skating uphill a lot. Hence the term cycling in alignment. So a couple of ideas I have on this podcast. Ultimately, my aspiration is that this medium will provide a platform for useful insight and discussion around cycling and holistic health. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I am a check practitioner. I've been a cycling coach since about 2005 and a bike fitter since 2011. And the coaching direction that most fulfills me and also the coaching focus that tends to bring about the longest standing and also deepest relationships with my clients are those that go well into the holistic realm. Meaning I'm looking at different things than TSS or CTL. Not that I don't look at those things at times I do, but one of my biggest lessons I've learned over and over again as a coach has just been bashed into my head relentlessly is that Very rarely is an athlete's performance limiter, biggest performance rate limiting factor actually on the bike. And I don't imagine that a lot of coaches think this way. Um, My perception is that other coaches on the whole focus on rate limiting factors of performance on the bike because that's what you kind of think that coaching is about when you set out to do it. But just like any dream or any really big project, when you're a kid and you dream about something or when you're a young man or woman and you dream about something and you imagine yourself doing it and then 10 years later you're doing it, frequently the end product looks very different. The daily practice looks very different than you imagined it would or that you were told it would. Um, If you want a great example of this, just read Jonathan Votter's latest book. He talks about this concept extensively about how when we were 17-year-old kids tromping around in Denver and Boulder, riding our bikes up Flagstaff Mountain, uh, Jonathan usually a good bit faster than me uh, anytime it got vertical, we imagined professional cycling to be something quite different than it actually was. Um, His lesson was a bit sharper in that particular aspect in regards to doping than mine was, but concept still applies. When you get to the professional level, you realize this isn't what I thought it was. And I think coaching has some strong parallels in that respect. Uh, the other function of this podcast is a selfish one. It's a solipsistic assist, motive, which is to get this shit out of my head. I have so many thoughts in my head and so many observations I've made about the sport. So many lessons I've learned for myself. Um, and when you hear the word lessons, by the way, you can infer that most of those came from failures. I'll talk very openly about my failures in the sport. And, um, the intent is not to bash myself or, or self-flagellate. It's not to exacerbate any success I've had. It's not to fluff myself up as some martyr. It's merely to give you an example of how challenging sport can be and what I've taken away from it. And hopefully you'll get some insight from that. So I'm gonna say this a few times in this podcast, but I think it's important for anyone to state their passion, their dream, their goal, their love. We need to do this in order to have a clear objective. Um, As Paul said many times in his podcasts, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. So without a clearly defined goal, passion or love, We don't have direction for all of our energy, all of our flow. We don't have cohesion. We don't have alignment. So I'm going to state my passion, dream, and goal. It is helping other people express their highest potential by illuminating a path that enables alignment with truth and coherence in their lives. So I want people to understand that's in the context of me doing that in my own life first. And I'll get to why that is in a moment. Again, back to that solipsism. Love that word. Although I can't say it. Solipsism. Try it. It's a fun one. Talk a lot about words on this podcast. Words I like and words I don't like. What I am not here to do in this podcast, I'm not here to gain an audience. Which might sound a bit odd to some of you, including my producer, Jana and Chris and Trevor, who have gifted me the opportunity to work with them on this podcast. And uh, I just want to say thanks to all three of you for your help. But what, what's up with that, Pierce? Why would, how are you putting out a podcast? You don't want to gain an audience. That makes no sense at all. Well, let me explain. He said, as though you were here asking that question. I'm not here to gain an audience because to gain an audience implies that I have an attachment to the outcome of what I'm doing, but to be clear, I really don't. What my goal is, is to clearly and lucidly explain the thoughts that are in my head, talk about the lessons I've learned, talk with other people about concepts and philosophies that I think are important and significant. One might say non-trivial and in doing so, I'm quite confident that the product I produce will be of value to people. But if it's not, then I accept that fact that what I'm talking about and what's running around in my head isn't of value to people. I suspect it is based on 15 years of coaching and a decade of bike fitting and the conversations I've had with my clients. I suspect it is based on the feedback I've gotten from the small bits of podcasts I've done already in different channels, including Fast Talk and a few others. But that's no guarantee. You know, Past performance is no guarantee of future results, as they say in the world of stocks and bonds. So just because I've said some things that people thought was neat before, doesn't mean that they'll think it's neat in the future. However, I'll do my best to provide content that is useful. And I almost wanna say novel. I mean, it'll be novel from my perspective because in my mind, I'm connecting A's, B's, and C's all the way to Z's, Q's, and Z's, but who knows? There are probably other people who have thought of this stuff, or maybe I just imagined that I connected those dots and really I read them in a book 10 years ago. Also possible. The point is I'm not trying to gain an audience as an end result. I'm not here to have some certain number of downloads or uh, that's not an end goal of mine. I'm also not here to convince anyone that I am right or demonstrate what I, air quotes, know. Um, knowledge is an enemy of man and false knowledge or preaching about what I know and you don't is not really something I'm interested in doing. What I'm here to do is present again, dots that I've connected ideas that I have concepts. I've formed things I've observed and to a certain degree, I want this to be a platform for discussion that'll happen when I have guests on the podcast, but it'll also happen through Q and a episodes or email responses. I'm not attached to having other people signing up to agree with me and I'm open to other people coming on the podcast and disagreeing with me. In fact, I hope we do have some of those discussions because I think those are the most informative for the audience. When you see two people who are experts in a field disagreeing on things or how to approach things or how to coach someone or how to bike fit someone, then it helps everyone. It helps me. It helps the other person and it helps our listeners. That's the point. This brings me to the second Matrix movie, a great example. There's a scene where Commander Locke and Morpheus are butting heads and Commander Locke says, damn it, Morpheus. Not everyone believes what you believe and Morpheus eloquently and succinctly replies, my beliefs do not require them to does my Morpheus voice. My beliefs, my beliefs do not require them to I might do voices occasionally on this podcast also going to drop some movie quotes just to keep you a heads up. So if you figure out what they are, comment it or something. Um some of them might be really obtuse. So I don't know, we'll come up with gold stars or some shit for that. Anyway, I love that scene because I am Morpheus in some respects. Whoa, wait, what did I just say? I'm not anywhere near that cool, but I identify with Morpheus's lone wolf perspective. I mean, I got to say, just to give you context, I am now 47, I'll be 48 in a few months. And so, you know, statistically, I'm somewhere near the middle, although no one chooses when. Now I'm going to have to do movie quotes in that same voice all the time. Maybe not. I don't know. That's pretty annoying. We'll see what happens. So... I was born in 1972, and I don't know what how old I was when E.T. came out. For those of you who remember the movie E.T., for those of you who are younger and you're like, what the hell is E.T.? It's this movie directed by Steven Spielberg. It was called E.T., which stands for extraterrestrial, and it was super cheese balls, although it did have some pretty good lines in it, um, including the use of the term penis breath, which was just mind-blowing for me at that age and all my classmates however the thing that i struggled with about et is that there was a unanimous vote everyone i knew and spoke to in my universe loved the movie et now to give you a brief bit of context et culturally was a movie that was very it was it was groundbreaking at the time because it had by today's standards atrocious special effects but it had special effects And it brought to life this alien, this animatronic alien that had like nine moving parts um, and lived in this kid's closet. That's the story. That's pretty much it. He goes home. He flies home on a bike to his airplane or his space shuttle or whatever and takes off. Sorry, flying saucer. So there's the whole movie in a nutshell. But um, the kid, you know, interacts with this animatronic animal. And it was just there are all these heartfelt moments where these characters are playing out their lives and it's this kid who's trying to figure out how to deal with the fact that there's an alien living in his closet and and it just was very endearing the movie was groundbreaking in many ways and everybody loved it and that really bothered me just the fact that everyone was so signed up for this thing and it was such a unanimous front not uh, independent of the fact of what of whether or not I like the movie independent of my own opinion of what the film was or what it represented. I just didn't really like the fact that so many people just signed up for this thing. And were like, yes, I love E.T. It's my favorite movie ever. That was apparently the opinion of every kid I asked in my age group. And this really bothered me, you know, also likewise, when we went to school assemblies, they would bring us in and they would show us these films about, I don't know what random stuff. And then I had this very poignant memory of me being at one of these assemblies, the all school assembly in the gym and we're watching some slideshow and um, up pops a photo of two kittens and every kid in the auditorium made the same crooning, swooning noise. And man, I just wanted to explode. I wanted to rip off my clothes, light my hair on fire and run through the gymnasium yelling, you are all lemmings. I just couldn't deal with the fact that everyone was so signed up to to think this way. This really bothered me. So I recognized that in my youth, this was really fundamentally just an anti, it was a contrarian line of thought. It was an anti, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I just couldn't deal with the fact that everyone thought the same thing. And I, I just, that really bothered me that, that all jumping on the same ship or walking off the cliff or whatever, you want to phrase it. And I think that at the time, I was just going against the grain, is what I'm trying to say. But now, looking back in retrospect, I can see that really this was the seed of critical thinking that I had even as a young child. To me, it alarmed me that people didn't ask why they liked this thing when everyone else did. And critical thought is one of our most important tools in adult life. Because, how do you, what's the, one of the most important ways to disassemble entrenched belief systems? And program thinking, presence of mind and critical thought. So I feel like part of my purpose in life is to share an alternate viewpoint, right? That goes back to illuminating a path enables, that enables alignment with truth and coherence in my clients' lives. That's what that's all about. And to that end, I want to expand on what I believe to be the. Well, I keep wanting to say onus, but onus is the wrong word because onus is a burden. So it's not an onus, it's really an obligation of those of us who are coaches or bike fitters. And if you're an athlete listening to this, you should understand this too. Coaches or fitters are bound by the responsibility to live their lives to the highest standards. I'm talking about the way we, we treat cycling, the relationship we have to sport and cycling, the relationship we have to our body, to our foundational principles, which is a, a Paul Trek concept. I'll unpack that. Why do we have this obligation? Because we're teachers. If you, as a coach, you are a teacher. And I think this is a basic concept we need to establish from the beginning. Some people think of coaching, coaches as programmers, but if you're only programming, if you're only writing workouts and never explaining why, never discussing the why, then you're really not digging into what coaching is. You're not, having, you're not opening the true relationship of what coaching is about with your athletes. It's a two-way street. You learn from your clients. To do that, you have to start explaining why so that your clients can understand why you're doing what you're doing and then at times potentially challenge you. So when you're a teacher, there is a basic rule that must be respected. And this is simply that you can't teach what you don't know. Or in the words of Brother Ali in his song, Uncle Uni Taught Me, you can't teach what you don't know. You can't lead where you don't go. You can't reap what you don't sow. Don't worry, I'm not going to keep rapping. You can't fool the peop- people no more. So this is great wisdom from Brother Ali. He's absolutely right. You can only bring to the table what you have mastered yourself. If you're a coach and you're asking an athlete to have right relationship with their own body issues, if you have an athlete who's obsessed with their weight, but they can't understand or, or won't dig deep enough to see that really weight is a 50,000 foot view of what's happening with an athlete, we all know as coaches, or we should know that you can gain two kilos in 24 hours of water weight. And when an athlete wakes up Monday morning and weighs themselves, which is very common after a weekend of long, hard training in the heat, and they've gained two kilos And then they don't eat all day Monday and then try to do intervals on Tuesday or Wednesday. Well, guess what happens? That's negative energy balance because they read the wrong metric. They assumed that, first of all, they're equating heavier weight with being bad and lightweight with being good. And this is Disney paradigm. This is assigning value to things that have no value. This is anthropomorphization of obtuse metrics or like I call it Disney paradigm. Wait, what, what is he talking about? Disney paradigm is when you watch a movie with a six-year-old and they don't quite understand the plot or like when I watched star Wars when I was six, I walked away from the movie amazed with all the cool lasers and robots and Wookies, but I didn't really know what the hell was happening. And then when they re-released it a few years later, before empire strikes back came out, I was able to comprehend the plot And I understood which guys are good guys and which guys are bad guys. And when you grow up in a Disney paradigm or Star Wars paradigm, if you don't learn to critically evaluate your world, you take those same value systems and you apply them to different things. In fact, you can apply good or bad to almost everything in your life. Oh, I got stuck in traffic on the way to work today. That was bad. Was it bad? I don't know. Did you have time to listen to a podcast? Did you have time to empty your mind and meditate while you drove? Did you have time to focus on breathing before you got to work? Did it inspire you to read a new book or did you have some moment of inspiration sitting in that traffic? Traffic doesn't have to be good or bad. Where am I going with this? What I'm saying is that if your athlete applies the Disney paradigm to more weight, or less weight, meaning heavier is bad, and they've gained water weight. Water weight isn't good or bad. It just means that you train hard over the weekend in the heat, and your body sucked up water like a sponge. Your muscles sucked up that water. And most of you know this, but carbohydrate requires water to be stored in the muscle. So if you're holding a lot of water, that probably means you're holding a lot of carbs, which means you trained hard, and now your body has fueled itself. That's not a bad thing. It's just a state of where the athlete is. Likewise, the athlete could weigh more, but actually go faster. If the athlete gains two kilograms in lean muscle mass and loses one kilo in fat, they've gained their net gain is one kilogram of lean muscle mass, but because the athlete doesn't know any different about the different about, they're not looking on a granular enough level to understand what percentage of what they've lost or gained, they might just assume that they're going to go slower up a hill because they weigh more because they're thinking in terms of watts per kilo. And watts per kilo is one of our greatest enemies in the sport. It's one of the worst metrics we can track because it's a 50,000 foot view. And I'm just going to say it straight up. I fucking hate the expression watts are watts. And this is why. So I'll unpack this more later. Hopefully I'm just giving you some, some ideas on what my lines of thought are my ways of critically thinking about the way the sport is coached right now and some of the ways in which I think we could do it better. We can optimize our coaching. So when you have an athlete who's stuck in this paradigm, your job is to dig deeper, to uh, uh, to help them understand why weight on its own, body mass on its own is not a, it's not a deep enough metric. It's not dissecting the problem enough. It's not, it's not looking at the athlete's the change of the body chemistry on a, meta, on, a, on a small enough level and why we have to dig farther. So when we are coaches and we are under this obligation to live our lives to the highest standard, this means we must be going to bed on time. We must be drinking clean water. We must be doing our meditation or our, if it's a moving meditation, whatever works for you, we must metaphorically sweep our own doorsteps first. And in case you're wondering this concept, this is such a beautiful truth about this concept. You want to change the world? You want to make a positive difference? Start by sweeping your own doorstep. When someone sees you taking care of yourself, you inspire goodness, And potential in them. You inspire their highest potential because they see you choosing not to drink. They see you eating organic. They see you keeping your house clean. They see you doing your stretching and mobilizations. And then they're inspired. Or as my wife frequently says, I have no problem raising the levels. Okay. The title of this podcast is Cycling in Alignment, and I want to briefly unpack the etymology of the words. So when I looked up cycling, I found several interesting definitions that applied to this concept. Cycling is an interval of time, which a sequence of recurring succession of events or phenomenon is completed. Example, a four-year cycle of growth and development. I know something else that happens on a four-year cycle, and that's the Olympics. And there are many athletes in the sport who are governed by this cycle. Well, in a normal four-year cycle, it happens. Not in this one, it looks like at the moment. We might be uh, five years between Olympic Games, 2016 to 2021. But anyway, that's unusual times. Cycling can also be described as a course or series of events or operations that recur regularly and usually lead back to the starting point. Like a pedal stroke, or a lap in a criterium, or in a velodrome. Cycling is also one complete performance of a vibration, electric oscillation, current alternation, or other periodic process. This is also can be this can also be likened to the act of pedaling. Pedaling a bike is a very rhythmic. Oscillatory curve, uh, and you can see this clearly if you look at force graphs of someone making force on a pedal. But there are lots of other ways in which pedaling is is rhythmic, and in that sense, it ties into some of our biological oscillators. Cycling is also a permutation of a set of ordered elements in which each element takes the place of the next and the last becomes first well what is this this is a pace line i found all these cool little parallels to cycling in these definitions a circular or spiral arrangement such as an imaginary circle or orbit in the heavens again we're back to the pedal stroke an imaginary circle or an orbit in the heavens if your pedal stroke is an orbit in the heavens you're doing pretty good we'll have you doing that by the end of this podcast no problem A cycle is a long period of time or an age. And this one for me was poignant because I have so many clients who have ridden their bikes for decades or more than a decade or at least years. And those are non-trivial periods of time. Cycling tends to be a sport that's a lifetime sport. Not for everyone, but man, is it common. It's also very common for people to race when they're younger and then things change. They get a family. They find a job, they do other things, they come away from it and then they return to it. Sometimes they return to it with their kids. Um, A cycle of poems about unrequited love or an ode to the sport. Mm. If one were so romantic about cycling. For me, back to that Professional cycling becomes something different than it was when you dreamt it as a teenager. Mm, a little bit of that is lost for me. I I don't look always so fondly on historical pictures of cycling, although the Cinelli Laser is still fucking cool and the old LeMondino battles. Yeah, I can get into that stuff. Also, Eddie Merckx. I mean, come on. For you youngins out there, if you don't know who Merckx is or how to spell his name, you're already fired know the history of your sport. If you really love cycling, go research Eddie Marks and Jacques Huck and Till while you're at it. Anquetil, to say it with a correct pronunciation, although my daughter who speaks French will probably not like that pronunciation. Sorry, hun. Cycling is also a series of narratives dealing typically with the exploits of a legendary hero. Well then, here we are back to Le Monde and Nino. I mean, how many legendary heroes do we know in the sport of cycling or fallen heroes? I won't mention all of them or even one of them because we already thought of who they are. But, yeah. We are all shaped by our experiences and choices. So, cycling is a sport that lets us do all these amazing things. Connect with nature. Connect with the world. Understand culture connect with different cultures, people travel great distances, powered by the engine of the human body. I mean, that's what a bike is. It's this device that just takes our mechanical energy and converts it into something far more efficient than legs and far less destructive than cars. It's the perfect pace at which to see the world on a bike. So for those of you who are done racing and can't quite figure out what to do with your cycling, don't forget, Bikes can do a lot of things besides do laps in a criterium. And another aspect I'll point out is that the cool thing about bike racing is during the hardest moments of a really good bike race, the personality of the athlete, it always comes out every time. It's just, it just fillets people's souls and you see who they are on the bike. There's something quite beautiful about that you get to see someone in their most raw form when the the badger comes out to use an Eno reference. What about the word alignment? I promise I won't go as far into this one, partially because I couldn't find as many cool correlator, correlatory definitions. But the fundamental definition of alignment I found is the proper positioning or state of adjustment of parts in relation to each other. Okay, that's a bit simplistic, but what I'm getting at here is when people live in alignment, when they know their one dream, passion, goal, or love, everything points in that direction. And things that point away from that direction, when you're really in alignment, when you're really focused and living consciously, you recognize when things are pulling you away from that and you discard those things. They're no longer of interest to you. It's not a sacrifice. It's not, man, I really want to drink that case of Bud Light, but I figured I shouldn't because I might go like shit in the Criterion the next day. That's not the scenario we're talking about. It's that you have far too much respect for your body, for your training, your effort, your goals, your path, to even want to drink a case of Shit, piss, water, bud light. Or pick your example, whatever you want. Whether it's just staying up late playing video games or eating four chocolate brownies for dessert. Not because chocolate brownies are air quotes bad, but because of the sugar and probably wheat that will cause great amounts of digestive inflammation that you've got to battle all night long. And then that impacts your recovery. we can interpret alignment in a few ways. We can say literally cycling in alignment is riding with your back straight, your hips level and stable, your bicycle making a true path down the road or well, the trail of the velodrome, right? We can also say that alignment in cycling is about learning life lessons. Even if some of the lessons are cyclic in nature and they get repeated, the point is that with consciousness and intent, we will transcend those lessons or as that cliche goes the old saying life will present you with many lessons and when you pass the lesson you may move on to the next one but until you pass the lesson it will be repeated and um yeah i think that's pretty apropos in the world of cycling especially because how many times have we all trained too much before a bike race or trained our clients too much before a race and then watched them crash and burn and then went hmm i did that again really I thought that I could train 20 hours in the five days before this important race and still go okay. I, yeah, once again, I thought I could do more than I could, should. Or my ego let me believe that I was capable of more than was realistic. Also for me, alignment is about treating this sport as a practice as opposed to using it as an escape or... To build up the inflated sporting ego, the the eulogy, the what will be written on my gravestone. You know, I've won a whole bunch of bike races. I've, I've won oh, probably a couple hundred bike races in, in my life, but the vast majority of them you've never heard about and don't care. I remember most of them. I probably won races that I forgot about, but... That just tells you how old I am, not anything important, but does that any of that matter when I'm lying on my deathbed? Am I going to think about the one race that I got second to? And I wished I would have won if I would have trained harder. It's the same thing. Like when you're about to die, are you going to think, man, I would have, I wish I would have worked harder. No. I mean, I don't know. I haven't died yet, nor have I had a near-death experience. But to me, logically, when I imagine what's happening and when I look back on my life, what's important, I'm probably going to be thinking about my family and my close friends and wondering if I communicated my love to them properly, wondering if I expressed my true passion, dream, or goal on this planet to the best of my ability. And if I did that, then I would expect I'd be able to die with some grace. But if i haven't done those things if i haven't lived in alignment with my own goal then then what i wander the earth as a aimless ghost perhaps i don't know okay i have already recorded an episode that will be released in the future i was going to say i recorded a future episode but i don't think that's possible and it unpacks my own adventure in the sport of cycling and overlays it on the story outline which is called the hero's journey. And I know that sounds really audacious. Um but it kind of was a hero's journey in its own way. I'm not saying I'm a hero. I definitely went on some journeys, lots of them. And for me to get where I'm at definitely required quite a bit of sacrifice and some hard lessons. And those chapters are all reflected in the path of the hero's journey. So what I'm saying is I'm not going to unpack my whole history right now in this intro episode, which is already 41 minutes long. Yeah, long format. But I will just really briefly talk to you about my perspective. Meaning, what am I bringing to the table in this podcast? Well, okay, coaches can, broadly speaking, come from two worlds. They can either come from a lab where they study physiology and Krebs cycles and lactate profiles and VO2 tests and ergometers, or they can come from the streets, which makes it sound cooler than it is. You can come from racing. And just because you're a good bike racer doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach. Those two things are not necessarily overlapping. But what I'm saying is I came clearly from racing. I've raced for over 30 years and raced on five continents in four different disciplines, road, mountain, track, track, and cross. I pretty much race everything except indoor cycling. And I don't do like legit downhill or anything like that, but I do go downhill on my mountain bike and the concept is basically the same. Don't die. So my experience as a coach, my perspective as a coach is really experience based and I think what gives me a little bit of a bias or a, an inkling towards coaching, a direction towards coaching, is that I do have that critical thinking mindset. And I like to unpack things and look at whys. I also like to break things down and see if I can do them better. And I can get fairly analytical and fairly data-driven. Um, I'm pretty sure that Vaters and I were the second and third Americans to be on SRM after Lamond. And this was in 1994, I bought an SRM. It cost as much as a small car, and it was incredibly useful. Uh, I learned a ton, not just from having that power meter, but also from pilfering the coaching that Jonathan was getting from Adrian van Diemen, who's a Dutch coach, who is the one I believe who convinced JV to buy the SRM at the time, and then JV convinced me to buy one in turn. And we did it, and so I've been on power since 1995. And I love the numbers. I think they're very useful, but just like everything, we have to have right relationship with those numbers and understand what they tell us. I will definitely unpack this in a future episode because I feel that the relationship to numbers has gone far, far from where it should, the mark of what what purpose they serve for coaching and for improvement of rider performance. So, you know, I won lots of bike races, but man, I lost lots of bike races too. I mean, in 3 plus decades of bike racing, I don't know, I'd have to add them up. Maybe I'll do that at one point. See how many races I started. That would be an interesting statistic, at least to me. You know, I've got a a CV of successes and a CV of failures, just like every bike racer, you know. I Qualified the start spots for the points race in Madison in the 2008 games, but didn't get named to the team. That's one of a million times in which I air quotes failed. But as Paul likes to say, Paul check really, instead of looking at athletic accomplishment in bins of winning and losing, he prefers to term them winning and learning because every time you lose, you get a lesson. And I learned a lot from not making the 2008 Olympic team. I'd already been to the Olympics in 2004 in Athens. So that was an amazing experience and I'm really grateful for that. But 2008 taught me just as much or maybe more. I also earned a reputation for being a bit detail oriented early in my career. I was that guy who could put a single layer of duct tape under my right arch in my footbed. And feel the difference or at least I told myself I could. And look there's a spectrum on this. There's the the princess spectrum I like to call it. On one end we have guys like me who can play with millimeters of duct tape and on the other end we have riders who can ride around on a 1725 on the left side and a 175 on the right crank arm and do it for a couple of weeks and not really notice, right? Most riders fall in between, but clearly the guys on the millimeter side make better bike fitters. And I think that's one of the reasons that that whole exercise appeals to me. Um, It can also be quite maddening for that exact reason. And I don't just mean my own fitting. I feel like I've got a lot of my own fitting issues quite well resolved. Hashtag sweeping my own doorstep. But um, understood and resolved. But uh, man, bike fitting is just, it's a never-ending wormhole of complexity which is part of what makes it appealing. It's also one of the things that can drive you nuts. I'm going to do some solo episodes in my podcast. Uh, a couple of them I've already recorded. One of them's how to pedal a bicycle. That one came about because we had such good feedback from that 24-minute brain vomit I did on Fast Talk one day. So I figured that people might want to have some more info on that. I've got a lot of guests in mind. Uh, Many of them are to be determined. I'll just keep hassling them until they say yes. But like Avery being a prime example, many of them are going to come from outside the world of cycling, and I will tie their philosophies or their observations or the information they present to us into cycling in a useful way. That will be the objective. There will be some discourse, probably some Q&A episodes. Um, I'm just going to lay it out now in the intro, Like, if you're going to troll me, I will just relentlessly ignore you. In case you don't know, I looked this up because I wanted to make sure I understood it. A troll is a person who starts quarrels or upsets people on the internet to distract and sow discord by posting inflammatory and digressive extraneous or off-topic messages in an online community such as a news group, forum, chat room, or blog with the intent of provoking readers into displaying emotional responses and normalizing tangential discussion, whether for the troll's amusement or a specific gain. I thought that was a pretty cool definition. So I like, I'm all about speaking with people and having discourse. I want to have discussions that challenge my ways of thinking. I like to challenge other people's ways of thinking. I think that's healthy and normal. If your purpose is only to inflame the discussion or bring about emotional response, then this is, I'm God of my world. So Bye. Just giving you the the straight up. I will tell you you're trolling and then that's it. I'll call you out. The last thing I'll say about this podcast is that you've probably already figured this out. If you made it this far in the intro, which is now in an hour, I am long format. I mean, what is the point of discussing a topic? If you're going to limit the depth, I'm a details guy. So of course, any podcast or discussion I have is going to be detailed and have hopefully lots of useful insight. That's the objective. So I'm just giving you fair warning. I've already recorded a couple podcasts that have been well over two hours. Now Jana might decide to chop those into into pieces and give them part one and part two. I'm going to leave that completely up to her. But for me, long format's where it's at. It's just the authentic expression of my level of knowledge and understanding I'd like to bring to the discussion. And hopefully my guests will feel the same way. I've got some really exciting episodes lined up, already recorded a couple, including some with some very famous pro bike racers. So stay tuned. And I sincerely hope that you find these discussions useful and informative and, or at least thought provoking. Even if you disagree with everything I say, that's okay. Signing off from the intro cycling in alignment. This is Colby Pierce with love, respect and gratitude stay healthy stay safe bye listen up monkeys the ramblings on this podcast represent me and me alone they're not indicative of the thoughts or opinions of fast labs or Chris case or Trevor Connor or anyone else also none of this advice is intended to prescribe or diagnose anything I'm not a doctor I don't play one on the internet so just want to be clear on those points. Thanks for listening.